0: Arrogant skeptics have claimed that if God did exist, he's a really poor designer. Is God a poor designer? And this argument is actually called the disteleological argument. Big word, I know. Some of you will remember a term called the teleological argument, which is an argument for the existence of God because the world exhibits order and unity and complexity and design. So the this teleological argument is an argument against the assumption of the existence of a creator God. And it's based on this reasoning that if an omnipotent deity w- would create an organism that had perceived sub optimal designs, well, then that deity must not be a good designer or must not exist at all ladies and gentlemen game on may the best
1: designed argument win <laughs> see what i did there if you got 99.9 percent in your maths exam you would be ecstatic but if you're designing a spacecraft and you got 99.9 percent, it's a total disaster evolution is actually bad for science because if you really believe in evolution you wouldn't bother to investigate the design of things like the human knee joint because you think, well, it should be badly designed. But as a creationist, I'm not held back by that negative thinking. And I've done some bio-inspired design of joints like the knee joint and it's because of my creation worldview. It's helped me with my science. It gives me the expectation of seeing brilliant design. Welcome to The Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid bible teaching your host eric hovand affirms the ultimate authority of god's word the truth of creation and why it matters to you
0: hey if you're new to the creation Today show we are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time and right now that person is you uh, to all our partners thank you guys i love seeing you guys on here jonathan great to have you on here joe good to see you george great to have you on here william and thomas and shane and ruth and everybody else on here andrew great to have you love seeing you guys here i'm so glad you guys are part of the community listen guys i don't i don't have a number yet i don't have a, a total for what our outreach has been this month i love to give that number to you but i gotta tell you man the the social webs out there have been busy rachel is over there in the office and she's telling us stories about the comments and I i to tell you, sometimes I think she's having a little too much fun to call this actual work, okay? Rachel, uh, keep doing it. Keep having fun. But we should question whether or not you should get paid, I think. Hey, to those of you who are only connected to us on social media uh, or the television show or the podcast, we would love to be more than just a casual date with you guys, okay? So whenever you're ready to take this relationship to the next level, I'd love for us to be able to, you know, stay in touch via email. (laughs) I know it's a serious commitment, but we're ready when you are. If you're, if you ever want to join us, please come on over to creationtoday.org slash sign up and let us stay in touch with you. And it also makes it so easy for you to stay in touch and reach out to us via email. So creationtoday.org slash sign up. We'd love to have a closer relationship with you. Hey, we titled today's show, Reverse Engineering, the Genius of God's Design. And to make our case, we're bringing in a genius designer. Our guest today is none other than Professor Stuart Burgess. Now, if I read his entire bio, it would take up the entire show. So let me give us some highlights. Professor Burgess has held academic posts at Bristol University, Cambridge University and Liberty University here in the US. At Bristol University, he was appointed the head of his department three times. He worked for the European Space Agency. He was the lead designer for a solar array on the world's largest civilian Earth observation spacecraft. And he also led the design and the testing of a chain drive for the British Olympic cycling team allowing them uh, to do something that they could not do back in 1776. The British beat us, winning a record six gold medals at the 2016 Rio Olympics. He's published over, I think it's 180 or more scientific papers on the science of design in engineering and nature. He's received several national awards for his engineering designs. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Professor Stuart Burgess. Professor Burgess, thank you for joining me today. It's good to be with you, Eric. That's a cool looking jacket you got on there. What is that?
1: Yeah, I've got my British Olympic cycling team tracksuit uh, on. Uh, one of the conditions for working for the team was that they give me some of their tracksuits, so uh, it's nice to be wearing it. I should also You're clar- rubbing it in it- right now, aren't you? That's what you're doing. You
0: knew you were coming on to an American show and you thought, let me
1: just rub this in just a little bit. Yeah, you didn't mention we also beat the Americans in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, I was well, going to leave that one unsaid. Uh I've just, oh, finished, just finished the chain. This is for the Paris Olympics. And, uh, so, and so, we think we're going to beat you for that as well. So,
0: okay, so seriously, you've literally got a design that, that you looked at the way a cycling works, and you literally designed something to give just that that slight edge, that slight advantage over everybody else.
1: Yeah, and there's so many things you can do in engineering. Uh, it's it's a lot of work, and even with cycling, I get inspiration from creation. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay,
0: tell it. Tell us. Like, like, part of me just says, I did. Your professor, Stuart Burgess. Part of me says, I just want to sit back and learn. You be the professor here and teach. <laughs> okay, go into a story oh. about that. What What do you learn about? Cycling. I mean we're we're talking about reverse engineering today. It is the genius of God's design. So you're Actually, literally stealing
1: from God to beat us in the Olympics. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I can't give you too many details, but but one of the things is looking at uh human joints. Because human joints have virtually no friction in them. So we're trying to copy that for uh cycling. Yeah. Well oh. So that, I can't that, go into any more details. we get
0: and now I gotta go to the drawing board and figure it out for our team. <laughs> is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, I mean, is this, this technology, I mean, it's, it's pretty serious, right? This is protected. Like, like they don't, they, you don't want one of your bikes to get stolen. Right. Uh, that is correct.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness. Oh, too cool, man. Okay. So tell us some stories of, of some things you've worked on. I know the, uh, the, the working for the space agency that had to be cool for the cycling team that had to be really neat. Tell us some stories and then. And then get into this because we have this argument out there going, hey, we see poor design in the world today. And 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 if, if there's a poor design, that means obviously God, if, if God is some omnipotent being and knows everything, he's obviously not a good designer. So by the end of the show, I want us to actually tackle that subject as well, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the biggest uh, projects I worked on, or one of the first most important ones, was when I was about 25, And I was the lead designer for a solar array deployment mechanism for the European Space Agency. And this project uh, was a very big project. I remember the project manager saying, do you realize how much the whole project is? And I said, I didn't. He said it cost $2 billion. Then he said, do you realize if your solar array does not deploy within 50 minutes, then the whole mission is dead. And I said, I didn't know that. And he said, if I could remember that for the rest of the project, he would really appreciate that. Um, so I explained that to my team as well. I remember on launch day, I felt absolutely terrified. I felt physically sick. I couldn't sleep. And when the solar ray actually worked, I just burst into tears and it was a very emotional experience. It's one of the things they don't teach you at university, the emotion of design. And Uh, I sometimes wish that atheists like Jerry Coyne and Richard Dawkins and others, if they could try and design something and see how difficult design is, if you actually try and design a system yourself, you realize it is so hard to plan everything, to get the performance. And then you realize design does not happen by chance. And that really is the key. Almost. Negating the entire
0: argument of, you know, the 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 if it's bad design, uh, the the logic argument. It's kind of like any design shows intelligence.
1: Yeah, I say to my students, if you got ninety nine point nine percent in your maths exam, you would be ecstatic. But if you're designing a spacecraft and you got ninety nine point nine percent right, it's a total disaster. You have to get a million details right and not get one single one wrong. That just gives you an idea of the great challenge of design. It's, it's super tough. You really
0: do have to get it right. And okay. So just to, to kick us off here, here's another frustration for me. Tell me if you've thought through this, I'm like here, I watch atheists online or I'm, I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through Instagram reels. And I see an atheist talking about God being a bad designer and I'm like, dude, you're 20 years old. You're 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 30 years old. You're 40 years old. I mean, how much universe design experience do you have? Like, have you ever designed an entire universe that has to work and and a globe and an ecosystem and a and a and an engineering a, a a human body that has to be able to to take in and and I, I just think of everything that goes on and I'm like, how dare you, in your ignorance, mock God and talk about poor designs? So anyway, I've, maybe I'm stepping on toes too fast there, but that's what comes to my mind immediately when I think of those that are trying to make fun of God because they say, oh, well, that's poorly designed and that's poorly designed. And oh yeah, well, how come the birth canal is so so narrow for women causing pain? And and they have these arguments and it's just frustrating to me. Any thoughts yeah, no, on I that? Think
1: that's a, I think it's a good point. I get frustrated too. I've been working in academia and engineering for 40 years, um, building things in my lab. And over that 40 years, my faith has just been completely confirmed and it is slow, so incredibly clear that God is a genius designer that there, there is no bad design in the natural world and not just that, but many of my colleagues would agree with me. I've been so amazed at how many academics in private will say that they actually believe in intelligent design and they, they will admit that all the evidence points to an intelligent designer but they won't say that in public. It's just not something you're allowed to do in academia. So then it's frustrating to see the person on the street say those things that are just not true. Especially when they're learning it from these guys in academia. I mean, exactly. you know people
0: that are actually teaching this and, and trying to say, and, and teaching an entire generation of kids that they are they are poorly designed or this or that is poorly designed. And in my opinion, completely lying to the kids telling him a false statement, but
1: you, you have any examples of that? Uh, definitely. Yes. I mean, Nathan Lentz, he's an academic at city university, New York, and he's written a whole book uh, called human errors. And he claims that the human body is badly designed from head to toe. For example, he says the foot is badly designed and the, the wrist joint is badly designed, but I've been writing against him. I've published journal papers. Uh, pointing out the errors of of his book. It should really be called Lent's errors, not human errors. Um, (laughs) He writes about things that are not even in his field. He's a geneticist. He's not an expert in biomechanics, but he claims the biomechanics of the human body are, are bad. But I've been working in that field for over 30 years, and I've pointed out the basic errors in his book. And... Basically, he is lying to students, saying that the human body is badly designed. Um, I published a paper in Biocomplexity in 2022, uh, just going through all the errors of his book. So there's a real debate and battle going on in that uh, area. And um, what's unfair is that there are lots of books out there attacking the design argument. So, you, if you're an academic, you're allowed to write a book attacking the design argument, but you're not allowed to write a book supporting the design argument. I've written several books, and academic institutions have tried to stop me from publishing that book. And I've said, "Well, well, why can't we have the other side of the debate?" It, it's a really strange thing. It's it's almost as if there's an agenda. It's like they Absolutely. don't
0: they don't want a fair debate because they know who would win. So. In my mind immediately goes to they know the consequences of losing this debate if they lose this debate okay now now you got to say okay god does exist i'm accountable to him and there's a whole a whole ripple effect of repercussions by allowing that debate to actually take place
1: i think what you said is absolutely correct i once had a an amazing conversation with an academic who was not a believer wasn't religious at all and i was talking him about about intelligent design and origins. And he said, Stuart, I just want to be really frank. The real reason I don't want to believe in intelligent design is I would have to change my lifestyle. That's the real reason. And I thought, this is incredible. His honesty was really incredible. There is that agenda behind it. And, and ultimately, it's a spiritual battle. It's not to do with where does the evidence leave lead because so many evolutionists are not interested in actually following the actual evidence. That is well said. That is insightful right there. That is something
0: that, for those of you watching, I'm telling you, so sometimes you get into the debate and you get into, oh man, look at all this science we got and I'm just going to present this and it's going to change their opinion. And you you realize after, after talking to a few people or maybe one person or a lot of different people you realize, okay, hang on. They, they should be seeing this information and this should change the way they think and it's not. This isn't a head issue. This is a this is a heart issue they don't want to believe in god wow i i tell you i remember and i want you to go through some stories or some some design arguments here but um i i think of when i was at Tallah- in tallahassee florida the state of florida was voting on the new standards for biology and they were voting whether or not a standard goes in there that says Evolution is the underlying principle of all biology. And it was this big debate and school board or uh, the, the state school board and everything was voting on whether or not this is going to come in. And then people lined up to talk and I didn't get there in time to talk. I would have enjoyed that. So we had, we sent emails to them. Uh, but um, one of the ladies that was on the school board says she was, you know, went to school. And sure enough, she pl- trotted out this little, oh, yeah, my professor, so and so talked about how poorly designed the human eye is. I mean, it's obviously not designed. And that was her like, okay, obviously evolution is true then. If it's not designed, it had to be evolved. And evolution is a bottom up mechanism. So okay, we gotta get into this because there's a lot of people with with that kind of thought process. And some of them are on school boards. And for this one, it was on the state school board of the state of Florida. And it's, it's affecting literally millions of kids' education for the last, when was that that was uh 2010 so the last 13 years that's been happening so let's go into design and reverse engineering and what really happens teach us
1: yeah i mean just to make a quick point on that uh, evolution is actually bad for science because if you really believe in evolution you wouldn't bother to investigate the design of things like the human knee joint because you think well it should be badly designed But as a creationist, I'm not held back by that negative thinking. And I've uh, done some bio-inspired design of joints like the knee joint, and it's because of my creation worldview, it's helped me with my science. It gives me the expectation of seeing brilliant design. But I'd like to give you some uh, specific examples from the field of biomimetics. So a really simple example of bio-inspired design I mean, one of the most famous is Velcro. There was an inventor called George de Mestral. I think he was a Swiss engineer and he noticed how the bear plant would stick to his clothes and his dog. And he said, Hey, I could copy that. And he really copied it very closely. And he became very, very rich because Velcro was very quickly uh, successful. So a very simple example of copying uh, God's design. But here are three journals because it's, this has become in the last 20 years, a a really big and important topic in engineering. There's a lot of business involved in copying designs from creation. There's the Journal of Biomimetics. I've been a guest editor of that. Earlier this year, I was a guest editor of that journal. I've been the editor of the Journal of Design and Nature. These are all secular journals. I published a lot of papers in Bioinspiration from the Institute of Physics in the UK. And what is interesting about these journals is there are thousands of engineers publishing case studies of copying designs from nature. And what they all say is that the gold standard of design is in nature. What they are saying is the opposite of what Nathan Lentz, Jerry Coyne, Richard Dawkins are saying. Those atheists are saying nature is badly designed, but if you speak to the engineers in these journals, they say, no, 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 no. Creation nature is the gold standard of design, and you must copy it as much as you can. So you see this complete contradiction. And going back to one of the frustrations of speaking to the public, the public are not aware of what scientists actually think. Scientists actually think design in nature is brilliant, but that does not filter down to the students and children in our schools and colleges, sadly. But I'm really excited by bioinspiration. Not only does it give me the chance to give glory to God when I, when I study the details of God's fantastic design, but it's also a really good test case. For creation versus evolution. I'll just explain why. According to evolution, it predicts very limited design complexity in nature because the step-by-step change is very restrictive. And just to give you an example of this, Stephen Fogel, he was a, a leading evolutionist at Duke University. He said, the evolutionary process faces constraints far more severe than anything impeding human designers. For example, when, I, when I'm teaching my students, I say to them, when you're designing a product, don't try an evolution process because you won't get anywhere. Use your, I try not to say God-given, but use your creative abilities to bring things together, not evolving step by step. So a human designer can do much better than using a process of evolution. But what this means is, if evolution were true, The natural world should be clumsy and simple. This explains why Nathan Lentz and Jerry Coyne claim the world is badly designed. It's not because of evidence. It's because evolution predicts it. That's why they are saying it. They hope that natural world is badly designed. The trouble for them is it's not badly designed. So evolution predicts nature is inferior to engineering. The problem for them is that nature is always superior to engineering. I think this is a a simple but brilliant argument. But creation predicts supreme design in nature better than engineering, because God is infinitely more wise than the best engineers. This is summed, summed up so lovely in Job 37, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God, who is perfect in Knowledge. I say to my students, you should always be inspired by a good designer. And therefore, you would be mad if you did not look at creation because God is the perfect designer. The best thing any engineer can do is to study the designs of a perfect designer, to study the designs in creation. So, what do we find? in the natural world when we study creation when we study birds and trees and the human body do we see something which is worse than man's designs airplanes and cars or do we see something that's better if we see something worse that supports evolution if we see that creation is better than man's design that supports biblical creation and of course that is what we find so i think this bioinspiration is such a test case for creation versus evolution and it's a huge problem to people like Nathan Lent and other atheists like that one of the projects i've worked on uh, one of the most fun projects is producing a micro air vehicle about the size of the human hand uh it's based on a dragonfly design it's for use in difficult uh, situations like earthquake recovery uh, but also spying in fact I was actually sponsored by the, by, by the military in the UK. So we studied the European data dragonfly and we tried to copy it. Now that dragonfly not only flaps its wings, but it twists its wings to create these special vortices. And we found this extremely challenging trying to produce a flapping vehicle that could not only flap, but twist the wings. The dragonfly, this particular dragonfly twists its wings at least 40 cycles per second. We could only reach 10 cycles per second, but our design was still judged to be one of the leading ones in Europe. But through doing this project, we soon discovered how brilliant the design of the dragonfly is. And if you read a biology book, a dragonfly is supposedly a primitive creature but it's not a primitive creature. It is more agile than the best fighter jets made by man. So here we have this example of what we find in creation is superior to engineering, not inferior as evolution would predict. So this is uh, just a picture of our design uh, in, in the hand. This was like a A quarter of a million dollar project. So this was a real project with serious uh, funding. Just to give you an idea of how difficult this project was, these are the components on my student's hand. You can see some screws and nuts. Those nuts that are going to go on the screw are smaller than a pinhead, smaller than a pinhead. We had to use very special tweezers, and magnifying glasses, we didn't realize, but the assembly of the air vehicle was going to be one of the most difficult, uh, tasks and putting a nut on a screw when it's inside a gearbox and that side is very, very difficult. So we had firsthand experience of, it is very difficult to copy God's design. In fact, it's always humbling to copy God's design, uh, and so you know, when I hear Nathan Nance says, "You know, nature is full of bad design," he hasn't looked in detail at the design of these things. He's just saying it because evolution predicts that, but the actual evidence is contrary to what evolution predicts. So, th- th- this was one of my most fun uh, projects. So, uh,
0: well, I got to ask, did
1: it, yeah did it did it fly? Like, uh, how, it could how do. How successful it, is that? Yeah, it could do limited flying, um, but we had great difficulty in controlling the air vehicle. This is one of the great challenges. Even today, there are no autonomous insect-like flying vehicles. Despite decades of research, engineers have not got there yet. The control is so complex. And yet, these insects have a brain smaller than a marble sometimes, you know, the size of a a rice flake. And yet in that tiny brain, they can control very complex uh, flight control that engineers still cannot copy. And these are supposedly, um, you know, primitive ancient creatures, but they are beyond the best of what man can design. Wow. And I want to ask you about
0: the whole bottom up versus top down. So when you're doing the dragonfly, prototype you're starting with the end result you knew you wanted to reach something that could fly like a dragonfly and you're saying the evolution worldview it it doesn't know what it wants to produce so it's starting with 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 really it can't start with anything but it's supposedly starting with just those nuts and bolts and trying to figure out what to make versus starting with an end in mind is that kind of the difference between the two views am i understanding that right
1: no, that, that is absolutely correct. And that is not, that evolution process is not how engineers design. When I'm teaching my students, I actually teach them from engineering standards. And the engineering standards actually say you must design top down. You start with the system, the functions, you then look at the subsystems, and eventually you fill in the details. Because if you start with nuts and bolts and try to work bottom up. You just get nowhere. You just get into dead ends and you cannot produce these complex uh, systems. So this whole process of evolution is just the opposite of how people design. Because I've, I've, I've heard the argument that evolution
0: is, no, 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 no. Evolution is, look at all the different designs that it took to finally get to this one that works right. That's what evolution is doing. But we're saying, no, no, Evolution doesn't have the end goal in mind. They don't have the final product in mind. You're assuming there's a final product in mind when with evolution, there is no final. You can design a better and better and better and better pin, but you had an end thought in mind and evolution doesn't have the end thought in mind. And that's the difference.
1: That's correct. I mean, I think the central deception in the theory of evolution is that supposedly natural selection can almost do anything but every engineer knows that selection does absolutely nothing. Selection is the easy part. What is difficult in engineering is to produce various concepts. Selection doesn't actually achieve anything. So when when people say, well, you know, the power of selection, well, selection, if you haven't got anything to select from, selection can do nothing. So as an engineer, I find this almost laughable uh, when I hear about the power of Selection And I've met evolutionists who have admitted this central deception of the theory. I I met a very senior biology professor in the UK. He's a little bit famous. He's not religious, and he wouldn't go public on this. But he said to me, Stuart, did you know evolution is like a magic wand? If you can't explain something, you wave a wand and you say evolution did it. You don't have to explain it you just say, well, it just selected it because there were so many things to select from. It just selected the right thing, given enough time. And it's just wishful thinking. It's not based on science. And as I say, the central weakness is that selection can design nothing. What is difficult is creating that concept in the first place. And evolution never tells you how it could create a complex concept. That is interesting. So when they accuse us
0: in the world of science of being God of the gaps and just, well, if we don't understand something, God did it. And I've always said, no, you don't understand. I'm not a God of the gaps. I'm a God of everything. He did the stuff we know and that we don't know, but they're, they're an evolution of the gaps. They're literally just waving the wand of evolution saying, oh yeah, well, that's how evolution did it. That is interesting.
1: Yeah. Especially so with a biogenesis, the idea that life could come from a chemical soup that is the best example of a god of the gaps you know you can't explain it so you just say evolution did it
0: yeah evolution of the gaps hey i social media unfortunately i've got to let you go we're at the half hour mark i would love for you guys to join the rest of the program please come over to creationtoday.org creationtoday.org and we'd love to have you join us and partner with us to uh, to reach people and to learn more we just want to disciple the world one person at a time to turn stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and the redeemer of mankind into stepping stones that will allow them to understand the truth and know him as their personal Lord and savior. So please come on over to creationtoday.org. You can not not only access the rest of this show, but you can access all the other shows we've done, and we've got a lot of them. Hey, how do people get in touch? I mean, you got your, your books, of course, we carry some of your stuff. Answers in Genesis carries your stuff. Amazon, all your stuff is on Amazon. What, what would be the, is there one place, oh, you got a slide, very good. What, where should people be going to get all your uh, resources, material? And I don't know if you have a newsletter or anything like that, not letting people follow you. But, I mean, your, your, your work is so good. I'd love for everybody to get a hold of
1: it. Uh, my most recent DVDs, four of them, have just been produced by the Institute for Creation Research. Uh, they're, they're really hot off the press. There's one on the incredible design of human hands and feet. There's one on the uniqueness of man. I think they're on one DVD. Then there's a second DVD with two presentations, The Incredible Design of Animal Joints, like I was talking about, and the second one, A Perfect Planet for Mankind. So one is called More Than Survival. The next one is called Elegant. Earth. These these were produced this year at the Institute for Creation Research. Uh, These are some of my books. The most recent book is actually the gift of sport, how sport reveals the wonder of the human, uh, body. The wonder of creation is also produced, uh, distributed by master books in the USA being translated into American from English, <laughs> uh, but I also Thank have you. a website, profstewandburgess.com, uh, which explains other books that I've got.
0: Hey, next week, I'm going to have a really, really good time. Uh, we're gonna hear from scientists from around the world. We're taking a trip to Germany to go to the Creaticon conference, and it's an incredible event uh, held every other year. Go with me, journey with me to Germany next week, right here live at noon. Until then, I'd love to see you see you over at creationtoday.org. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I've got a free gift for you. Go to creationtoday.org/slash gift, G-I-F-T, creationtoday.org slash gift, and that is 100% free and 100% for you. Look forward to seeing you next week, uh, and we'll continue on over at creationtoday.org.